to actions antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. One thing I talk about quite a bit is living by the script. And what I mean by living by the script is being in a state where you're not really creating your own life. You're not really creating anything that you actually personally decided on because the script itself, as of the beginning part of 2024, the script is really created to maximize comfort and convenience as opposed to maximizing, say, enjoyment, maximizing purpose, maximizing excitement. And that's where my guest today comes in. Uh, Daniel Aaron is a transformational life coach and the founder of The Art of Vibrant Living. Daniel, welcome to the program. Cool. Stephen, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Uh, it's an honor to have you here, Daniel, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and talk to my audience. Let's first, by starting a basis now, when you talk about vibrant living, what does that look like in your view? Okay, well, let's start with what it doesn't look like. And what it doesn't look like is it's kind of like Emerson said that the masses of people are living lives of quiet desperation, or what I call sometimes the cult of meh. Right? It's mediocre monotony. It's people just going through the motions of life. And, and I came to this as a little boy. I remember being three years old in the front yard of my family home. And back behind me, inside the home, it was like just chaos and pain and drama. My family was all kinds of dysfunctional. That's why I was hanging out in the front yard as much as I could. Across the street, I saw my neighbors and they were slump-shouldered and just going through the motions. And I thought, there's got to be more to life than this. Yep. And so that awareness just stayed with me. And, you know, so what is vibrant living? It's it's living with passion and joy and excitement and taking ownership for one's life. So I've thought about the cult of Mac quite a bit. One of the original matters was like crazy, you know, living by the script is Mac or the idea of escaping Mac. And my story behind that is when I talk about 7.15 a.m. on a Tuesday at a train station. And you see everybody commuting to work, you know, the same way you observed it as a kid. You don't see that excitement from that many people. Maybe you see one person somewhere here and there, but the vast majority of people, you don't see life in a way. You don't see that excitement about living life. How do you think it came to be that state? Do you think that's a natural state of humanity or do you think something happened in our culture to bring us into a world where so many people are living by the script and you know living by what you would call the opposite or or what vibrant living is not if the question is how did we get into this predicament yeah we could theorize lots of things some would say the advent of advertising some would say the beginning of cooking food as opposed to eating it in its raw state some would say it's from losing our connection to to spirit to the divine and you know becoming more and more seduced by this material existence and wanting stuff rather than life and experiences although i think probably more important question than how do we get there is how do we get out of there yep and then that, that's where you come in right i hope so yes that's um <laughs> that's my excitement my passion my joy yeah that's what i do is help people to create something different and so what does that program look like? Like, what does it look like the manner in which you take someone from meh or non-vibrant living to a state where, you know, as you said, you're, 
you're excited by life. You're, you're feeling alive. You're feeling lit as I often say. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Feeling lit, lit from within. I mean, it looks different for everybody. And I have different ways of working with different people at different stages of their journey and different levels of investment. I mean, it could be someone reads my book. I have a book called uh, The Art of Spiritual Leadership, 40 Laws to Transform Your Life and the World. So, you know, that's a few dollars to invest in that. There's information and stories and exercises. And then, it, you know, ranges all the way up to sometimes I work with people in a one-on-one custom bespoke coaching program. And so we really look at what it means for them and what they want. But I guess if I summarize it or consolidate it, generalize it, for all of us, it starts with saying, hey, I want more than this blasé life. I deserve more. I'm committed to creating more, and I'm willing to take ownership and responsibility for my life. And anytime somebody does that, I would say the sky is a limit, but the sky is no limit. There are no limits. And is there a challenge around those first two statements? I want more, but even especially that I deserve more. Does that become a challenge for a lot of people to embrace? Yeah, for a lot, a lot of people, I would say. A lot, a lot of people. Um, Because, yeah, it happens often. I hear from people like, I don't know what I want. Or, you know, because so many people have become that proverbial frog in the slowly heating water. And they've just got used to this idea of, I can't get what I want. Things are okay. I tried that before. It didn't work out. And well-meaning people have advised, you know, don't set your sights too high, just go for what's easy, right? Because whatever reasons they failed at something, they don't want people to get their hopes too high. So a lot of people get in that mode of, well, just settle for things the way they are, which to me is, this is a weird way of saying it, but it comes, that's like a demonic way of living, right? Mm. And just settling for things the way they are. It's not what we're here for. So you talk about demonic way of living and you talk about embracing a connection to spirit. Is there a specific way that needs to look like? Because I know there's many different spiritual paths out there, whether it's Christianity, Hinduism, or just general spirituality. Is any one of them better than the other? Or is it just about having some kind of connection to spirit? Yeah, the one that works absolutely best is the one that resonates for you. And I 100% believe that people have the right and the responsibility to create their relationship with spirit, creator, the universe, nature, whatever language works and in whatever way works for them that lifts them up into greater possibilities. Is that some kind of a prerequisite? Like, can someone who's a devout atheist who generally believes that there's nothing beyond life except you're just born you die, you have atoms that move in certain fashions, and that really kind of determines everything. Is that person able to find a vibrant living? I love that you asked that question, because honestly, a few years ago, I would have said, yeah, some kind of belief in a higher power, some relationship with higher power is essential. I don't believe that anymore. I know that the technology, and by which I mean scientific principles applied for a practical purpose, the technology for creating self and for creating our life, it's available to everyone. It doesn't matter what anyone believes. It's a spiritual law, but it's also, it works just like physical laws. It doesn't matter if I believe in gravity or not. If I you know, slide off the roof, I'm probably going to hit the ground. 
that's a great thing about science that's like natural science versus say a social science and natural science is way more easy to prove and you can just say like you know newton's laws right newton's first second third laws and some would be like i don't obey newton's laws well you actually do you just that's just how everything works so no matter what you do it's going to happen like every action is going to have an equal and opposite reaction whether you choose to believe it to happen or not gotcha yeah well, I agree with you on one level for sure, just like the, the analogy I was using with gravity, right? It doesn't matter whether yeah. I believe in it or not. On the flip side, we're also at a very exciting era right now where science is developing and exploring in a way that's also pointing back to say, well, Newton's laws, they're cool, they're good, they apply, though it's not the whole picture, right? There's this quantum model of reality that's emerging that we know takes us beyond sort of the materialistic limits that's expressed by the Newtonian laws. Yeah, it's such an interesting time because I've even heard or seen some articles when people talking about the quote-unquote God particle, or all the mm. things that when we were reaching that limitation and saying, yeah, like we do know that the water molecule H2O is a 109.5 degree angle between the two hydrogen atoms off the main oxygen one. We can find stuff like that, that we can say, yeah, we've proven it, but what goes even lower? What's this beyond why? Like, how was it determined that interesting fact, the density of water actually maximizes at 39 degrees Fahrenheit, which is a really, really weird characteristic. If you think about every other fluid, given like where their freezing point is, it actually determines the way oceans circulate. And if it weren't for this really weird pattern, this really weird attribute of water, human life would probably not be possible. Wow. That's amazing. But I mean, obviously, like maybe if it weren't for that, life would have taken on a different form and beings would have evolved differently based on whatever molecule, you know, feeds life like water and what its freezing point is. And not, not to say like, like if it weren't for that exact thing, this would just be a lifeless planet, an entire lifeless galaxy. But like, it's kind of, you know, like that whole thing of reaching that point of like, this is the depth of which we can come to an understanding based purely on just, you know, scientific experimentation. Yeah, it's an exciting era we're in. And for sure. And so with this vibrant living, do you feel like there's something about this current era we're living in where more people are spiritually awakening or more people are realizing the possibilities around living more vibrantly as opposed to just going through like the motions of the cultural norms and just saying, yep, at this age, you do this at this hour, you do this. And, and this is the, the standard check these boxes off and that's life. Yeah, I, I do think that we are on the precipice or, or maybe beyond the precipice now into an era where more people are realizing that they can create their lives. We've had so much of our existence, our evolution as humans kind of limited or blinded behind a veil of this is what's possible. Yet with the acceleration of evolution, more and more possibility is becoming available, right? And more and more people are accelerating their evolution, accomplishing more, experiencing new things. And because it's all connected, as any one person breaks through something, it opens up that possibility for all of us. And to open up that possibility, we kind of touched briefly on the whole, what you want and I deserve it. Is there another aspect of someone's mindset that needs to be adjusted in order to, to actually realize, in order to actually make progress along that path? Well, mindset is important 
but it's only really important, essentially important, and all the time important. In my realm of personal and spiritual development, they say, well, mindset's 80% of success. Actually, from another perspective, it's 100% of success because if all the results we have in our life depend on our mindset, the way Henry Ford said it, if you believe you can do something or believe you can't, in either case, you are right. Mm -hmm. And it is our mindset that determines how we see the world, what actions we take, how people perceive us. So without a powerful mindset, a positive mindset, what I think of and what I work with my clients on is an invincible mindset, then it's really, really hard to accomplish and create what we truly want. And how would someone go about generating that invincible mindset? Well, the way I look at it, and I'll say it simply and I can expand if that feels like it's useful, it comes down to a couple things. One is a fundamental understanding, a distinction for vibrant living or a distinction for success, which is one that most people have never received. It wasn't part of religious education, wasn't part of high school or you know elementary yeah. school education. The distinction is that we all have a part of us that we could call being right? Or we could call it a state of being, or, you know, the thoughts that we think about ourselves, our identity, our vibration, and everybody has it, whether they are aware of it or not. Like we were speaking about laws. This is just a fundamental law of humanity. We mm-hmm. are being from there, what we say, what we do, how we perceive the world, how others perceive us, comes from who we are being, right? There's a great quotation from Emerson again. He said, and I use this a lot when I'm training people to teach or to be speakers, who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear a word you say, <laughs> right? And it, and it points to that thing, like, like parents know this, kids don't listen to what you tell them, they listen to what are you doing? Who are you being? So that's the fundamental thing. First is to realize we're all always being. Second is, oh, we can observe who we are being, right? We can ask ourselves, I didn't like the way this went. Well, who was I being? Or that went really well. Well, who was I being in that situation? And then the third key part is we can change. We can modify who we are being. It's That is up to us. We have authority over our being. And if we shift who we are being, we will guaranteed shift what we say, what we do, and the results we get in our lives. So that's why you have to be it first. And it reminds me of like what puts people off because you look around the world and you see the person who is authentic, who's in love with what they're doing. And people people generally seem to love it. People seem to love anytime they see someone who's really excited, really passionate and and doing something that they, you know, really, really care about. And then whenever I notice people who are being phony, either I don't really believe it or I'm trying to be someone else because that's who I think I need to be in order to succeed, in order to survive, those people oftentimes do start to repel people. Absolutely. Humans are naturally bullshit detectors, and we sniff out inauthenticity like that. And as soon as someone is 
inauthentic posing in some way, right away, we get turned off. Absolutely. That rubs us the wrong way. This is one of the great paradoxes of, of life in the early 21st century is that we love it when someone's authentic. We love it when someone loves what they're doing. Yet there seems to be so many pressures in the world, especially around how people are made uncomfortable by nonconformists, for lack of a way, better way to put it, for someone to then go around and be a phony. There are plenty of people out there who have like who they naturally are and who they knew who they were from when they were a child, but they've gone around most of their adult lives acting like someone else because that's who they thought that everyone was pressuring them to be. Absolutely. It's at epidemic levels and it's very destructive to us. So what can someone do? Because one of the things I feel like is that people get afraid to stop wearing that mask, as so many people put it. Is there anything someone can do to to slowly over time get more comfortable not wearing that mask, get more comfortable showing their true selves to the world? No, they're just screwed forever. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. We, we've got infinite freedom. Like that's one of the amazing things about being human. Like we can persist in thinking and doing and acting in ways that lead to suffering. We can do that our entire lives, but we've got free will and we have the technology. We have the wisdom to say, no, that's, I want to do something different. I want to live in a beautiful, awesome way. And so absolutely people can do that. And, you know, it goes back to what I said before about learning the distinction about being and those three pieces. And then, you know, for me, the way I think of it is there's awareness, distinctions, and then there are practices or rituals that allow us to become who we want and to create the lives that we want. It's not rocket surgery. It's not, you know, beyond anybody's ability Though it does take intention, it takes learning, and it takes some application. And, you know, honestly, most people, they're not into that. They would rather stay with what they know, even if it sucks, and be comfortable. And for the few people that say, no, I'm, I'm over that, I, I don't want to live that way anymore, the good news is absolutely don't have to. Now, can anyone make a mistake in this transformation? And what I mean, mean by that is in focusing on changing daily habits before they change the essence of who they're being. Because I'm just thinking about, say, even New Year's resolutions, and they say that the average date in which, or the median date in which people abandon their New Year's resolutions is January 19th. So there's obviously a lot of people out there who are deciding, I'm going to change my daily habits, but then for some reason that doesn't stick, and by January 20th, they're right back to where they were before they made these grand plans. Steven, I love you. That's so cool. I didn't know that specific date because I've known, of course, for years that the human tendency is, oh, I've got these new resolutions. And then, you know, in short order, like, yeah, now maybe next year. For years, I have launched a group program toward the end of January, specifically because I figure that's, a you know, for a lot of people, that's about the time they're like, maybe I want to do this a different way because what I just did didn't really work. And the program I'm launching this year is literally on January 20th. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's hilarious that you say that. And, (laughs) you know, coming back to what you're asking though, is there is absolutely a, an art and science to self and life creation. 
to changing the patterns that have got us where they've got us, right? And there's a common understanding in the world of transformation, personal and spiritual development is if you keep doing the things you've always done, you're going to keep getting what you've always gotten, right? So, and your question specifically, like, well, just saying you're going to do this without changing who you are on the inside is that problematic? It can be for sure. There's a lot of cool research around affirmations, right? And I think probably everybody knows what an affirmation is. Um, when yep. people say, I affirm whatever it is I want to be, I, I'm, I am beautiful, I am successful, I am rich. If people say those things while another part of them is thinking, no, nah, no, you're not, then not only does it not work, it's actually counterproductive and it hurts them. Right. So that's why we come back to what I was saying earlier. You have to shift who you are being on the bottom level first. And there is a methodology to how to do that for sure. So those affirmations, you know, like wake up every morning, I am smart enough. I am wise. I deserve the life I want. If you don't change who you're being on the inside, there's going to bounce off because someone's going to say, yeah, right, right. Well, worse than that, actually, they will bounce off, but they also will make it worse for us because not only is it not working, and that sucks, that's disappointing, it's also, I have to conclude that I am a liar, right? Because I'm saying these things, but it's not true. So not only is it not working, I'm also feeling badly because I'm lying. One of the affirmations I try to tell myself as much as possible is like, I am a person that can make things happen. Hmm. But if Part of me is not believing that. Part of me is like, ah, something always gets in my way. I can't overcome this challenge. I can't overcome this tendency. The world's just going to keep doom scrolling through their phones all the damn time or whatever. Then all of a sudden now, not only am I not able to help people overcome our our terrible use of addictive technology, but I'm also a liar, a phony, and I'm being a phony everywhere in life. Yeah. Well said. That is some really heavy stuff. And is that the same type of thing that happens when, you know, I I tend to use this example quite a bit for the the most cliched news resolution is I'm going to eat healthier and I'm going to exercise every day. But if you're not being a person that eats healthier, you're like, okay, you're resisting yourself. You're forcing that broccoli down your throat or you're forcing yourself to go to the gym, but eventually you're just going to revert back to like, okay, well, this is the person I am. I'm going to get out those Cheetos, those Doritos, and and put the TV on so that I go into the gym. 100%. Yeah. And it's like, once we get this understanding, this distinction, things get a lot easier because if we change who we're being, right? But if I try and build this habit that I'm going to eat healthy and exercise, but as you said, who I'm being, you know, a lazy slob who overeats yeah. junk food, right? Then these behaviors are not going to last very long. But on the flip side, If I go to the source and shift who I'm being and become, create myself to be a healthy person, well, what does a healthy person do? They eat healthy foods. What does a healthy person do? They move their body because it's a natural expression of who they are. I'm going to emphasize what you said at the very, very end, a natural expression of who you are. So whatever you want to make out of your life, whatever you want your life to become, where you want to be, what kind of things you want to be doing, 
has to be a natural expression of who you are as opposed to an unnatural pull and tug against who you're not. 100%. There's a one of the most fundamental truisms from psychology is that there is no force greater than the human need to be consistent with our identity. Another way of saying it is we all have an identity. This is how I see myself. This is who I think I am. It's not it's not who I have to be, but whatever I think I am, that's who I am. And so I will behave in ways that are consistent with that identity. I have to. It's a it's a psychological law. So given that psychological law, there's one trend that's going around very recently that concerns me quite a bit regarding identity. And that is the identity of victimhood seems to have become popular in a lot of different places. It seems to it seems to have gained ground at least up until maybe a year or two ago. So one of the things I'm concerned about is what happens to someone when the the allure of victimhood, the allure of my life circumstances and my fault. It's because those people are doing that thing, or if only those people would stop doing that, which is which is very disempowering. What do you think it is about? this victimhood that really attracts people and what can people do to kind of resist that we are at a very unique time and if we spoke about the cult of meh before there is the cult of victimhood the cult of i need everything to be safe so i don't feel uncomfortable and you know i i get it we all have a part of us that doesn't want to take responsibility it takes some effort it takes some courage the downside, though, if we don't take ownership, if we don't take responsibility, if we stay in the victim role, we're never going to be able to create what we want. We're never going to create a life of meaning and vitality. It's just impossible. And so if someone repeatedly says to themselves, based on whatever they read on social media, whatever they view on YouTube, whatever they're you know seeing through our technology or even through any other avenue, maybe people you know, but keep saying to themselves like, I am a victim, which obviously is a little bit like, yeah, I'm a victim, so this isn't my fault. But then what you're going to be, whatever habits you're going to default back to are going to be the habits of a victim. Absolutely. Yeah, it comes right back to identity and being. Now, another thing that you talk about on your website is um, is elevating your vibration. Mm. Can you just explain a little bit about what that kind of entails? Hundred percent. In some ways, it's very, very much the same as what we've been speaking about. It though, I'll put it from a different perspective. And this, this idea of vibration or frequency used to be a bit fringe. Though now we know everything has a vibration, a frequency. Every thought, every word, every being, and we all have built within us what we call a set point. And just like the thermostat in the room in a house, whether it's from air conditioning or heating, the thermostat says, okay, between, and if we go for Fahrenheit, 70 degrees and 74 degrees, that's my, that's the zone I want the temperature to be in, right? And so we set the the temperature to 72 degrees. And then if the room starts to get too hot, right, it goes up above 74. Well, then the thermostat turns the air conditioner on and it cools the room down. And if it drops down below 70, then the thermostat says to the heater, hey, time to turn on. And it works the same way with us. We all have a vibrational set point for our health, 
for our wealth, for our happiness, our success. You know, we tell ourselves, and of course, mostly it's subconscious. It's not like most people do this out loud. We say, this is how successful I am. This is how happy I am. Like Abraham Lincoln had a great quotation. He said, in the end, most people are about as happy as they decide to be. But again, most people do not realize that they are the authority, that it's up to them to change it. And they can if they want to. Hmm. And what I love about everything you're saying about this base state of being throughout this entire episode is you can change it if you want to. What do you think makes people think that they can't change it? Well, uh, one is we've we've had a lot of indoctrination into that, right? There are a lot of forces in society that tell us you can't, right? And we've all had experiences where we tried to do something, but it didn't work out the way we thought. And so we conclude, oh, yeah, I'm not the kind of person who can do that, right? That's a vibrational set point. And yeah. let's be really honest about it, to change to shift our vibration, it takes effort and it takes courage because there is a part of all of us, and I call it the human animal part. Some would say ego. There's a part of all of us that all it cares about is safety and sustainability, keeping things the way they are. That feels to us, it's not true, but it seems to us that that's safe right? This is a 2 billion year old brain. And part of us still acts like we were 2 billion years ago. So for that part of ourselves, that human animal part that's survival oriented, any change is threatening. So that part of us says, no, just keep things the same. Don't try something different. That's dangerous. However, we've got the other part of us that I call human spirit. That's invincible that is eternal and that is here to evolve and to grow, right? So on some level, the human experience is working out these two different parts of ourselves, human animal and human spirit, and who's going to run the show? Which one has a greater say in what we create? And neither one is right or wrong. It just creates a very different experience in the human life. You talk about the ego, you talk about the that animalistic aspect of us. And a lot of us, as we kind of discuss our pursuits, even discuss our ideas, discuss what we want to see, we'll have people in our lives that are just going to give us that weird look, like, you know, tell us that we're being like, you're being weird, kind of that external manifestation of it. Is that also come from that same, that same ego, that same part of you that wants to keep things safe, feeling that somehow someone else branching off and someone else in your life suddenly embracing things that seem strange to you is is a is a threat to that that safety that ego yeah well said so two things we could say on this that's re- that are really cool one the the word weird look it up in the dictionary one of the definitions is supernatural mm. right supernatural and it means going beyond the normal And absolutely, when we say, when any of us says, you know, I'm going to create my life into a masterpiece. I'm going to raise my vibration. I'm going to, and whatever it is, start a company. I'm going to create this new thing. I'm going to invent this thing. Or even, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to stop wallowing in my self-pity. Then there are other people that say, oh, that's not good. No, because if we've been on a similar vibration with other people, 
yeah, part of the survival instinct is tribal. And if any of us say, I want to increase my vibration, then the ones that are over here, that feels threatening to them. You know, on some subconscious level, they're like saying, hey, well, what's wrong with the way things were? What's wrong with me? Right. So, yeah, there's part of them that wants to pull that person back down. In Australia, they have a great name for it. They call it the tall poppy syndrome. So anybody that has the audacity to raise themselves up while the others are going to cut them down and make sure they get back to the same size. Interesting, because then, like you're losing a person, whether people articulate it that way or not, when a person that's part of you know your group raises their vibration and if you're not prepared to like raise your vibration along with that person or even that group of people all of a sudden that's like you can mean it might be a loss it it will feel that way to part of us 100% what can someone do to overcome that because uh, let's say you raise your vibration and the person who's not ready to raise their vibration you know acts that way and you know they lose you but you also lose that person you know, like, is there a, is there a way to kind of overcome that concern or is there a way to even try to bring some people on board to overcome that whole, like, oh, well, this person thinks I'm being weird, but wait, wait a second, let me explain this to you. Maybe, maybe you'll, you'll like this happier way of living. Yeah, a hundred percent. There was a you know great little story, a client of mine years ago, he had a lucrative job and part of his job involved, you know, it was one of those jobs where he couldn't receive payments from people because that was unethical, right? That would seem like a bribe, but he could receive gifts from them, right? And that was a way that they would be influential, but it always kind of rubbed him the wrong way, you know? And and he was like, it doesn't feel right somehow. So finally he got the courage to speak to the people that were giving him the gifts and say, I appreciate it and we need to stop. So on some level, what he was doing is saying, I'm going up here, right? I'm going to change my behavior. I'm going to change my vibration. And he did that. It took the courage. And this is one of the basic elements of transformation is we have to be willing to never put anybody out of our heart, though we might need to put them out of our lives, right? So, or the way Jim Rohn puts it, you become the five people you hang out with most, So if somebody's not willing to support us, to raise themselves up, well, then on some level, they're pulling us down. And exactly what you said, though, is true. Sometimes when we make that commitment with with the willingness to say, all right, well, I may lose this connection on some level or it's going to shift. Sometimes that's enough for that other person to say, you know what, I'm going to shift. And my client who did that he found that several of the people where he said, I'm not going to take gifts anymore. They said, yeah, I'm glad you said that. It didn't feel right to me either. And they, you know, changed the dynamic of their relationship. So sometimes people do step up to it. It takes us having the commitment and the courage, though, to stand for our our values. We have kind of a cultural setup that no one seems to really be appreciating if the, if the mental health statistics are, you know, accurate or very few people, but also very few people are standing up and saying, no, this is not what the human experience, the human experience wasn't meant to be spent so much time alone indoors and seated. Uh, I'll just say it that way, or so much time doom scrolling, so much time doing the same task over and over again and not really living your full purpose. But 
very few people are, you know, there's almost a fear around questioning it. It's almost a fear around coming out and saying like, all right, you know, these technological advances were great. Some of the things that we're doing are great for their own reasons, but we need to find something different for humanity, something that's going to actually serve humanity better than, than what this current state is. Yeah, I'm with you completely. So, and you know, pain's a good teacher. Sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. And so the more of us that wake up to, yeah, sitting alone at home all day or doom scrolling, actually, now that I pay attention, that's not serving me. We have to feel it. And it's weird because when you talk about the cult of meh, right, is one of the curses of meh, the fact that it's comfortable and it's good enough. So there's a difference between when I think of people who are living by the script, cult of meh, however we want to put it, non-vibrant, I don't necessarily think of the person who is worried they're going to get shot to death every day. The person that's like on edge about starving to death. I think of the people who who have some of those basic comforts met, but it's just all these other aspects of the human experience that many of our you know thought processes for the last, say, five decades have kind of ignored, uh, is no not serving. And so, but they're kind of stuck there longer because, yeah, you are making enough money. You're not worried about losing your home. You're not worried about not having enough to eat tomorrow. Absolutely. There's a, there's a saying that good is the enemy of great. And when we are comfortable and, th- and this is an epidemic in our world too, you know, we have so much advancement in technology. It's easy to be comfortable all the time. That's why I think this, this uh, cold thermogenesis or cold water therapy has taken off so much as a sensation in our world. It's, you know, reaching the popular masses is because we all recognize that we're slowly killing ourselves with comfort. Yeah, I read a book on that subject called The The Comfort Crisis. I think it was like mm-hmm. Mike Easter is the name of the author about a year ago. And um, that book, the story about someone that goes on this like three-week, you know, camping, hunting trip in Alaska with like no not well, not that much brought food, like his survival kind of depends on them, their ability to hunt and catch something. And they spend, mm. they spend weeks cold at a 4,000 calorie daily deficit, you know, and learn how to like endure something like that pretty much. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And one last thing before you go, if anyone listening to the conversation is interested in getting a hold of you, whether it be to find about your books or find about some of your other services, what would be the best way to visit your website? Or is there another way? Website is probably the easiest, best way. It's just my name, Daniel Aaron, A-A-R-O-N.com. I'm on most of the social platforms, so I can be found there, reach there. Email is fine, Daniel at DanielAaron.com. I'm easy to find. I mean, yeah, it's a pretty... Pretty easy thing to type into a a web browser, as I know. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes, for um, talking to us about how we can get from the state, I refer to as living by the script, um, the cult of meh is also a great great way to put it, to a place where we're living vibrant. And when I think about living vibrant, I think about something pretty similar where, you know, in the in the cult of meh, I think about someone who was like, a vast majority of the things they do in their lives are not bringing any kind of happiness, excitement, purpose, fulfillment. Um, most of it's around comfort and convenience. Whereas if someone's vibrant, the majority of the things they do has 
some component of that excitement, joy, purpose, fulfillment, stuff like that. So thank you for talking about all the ways we can kind of bring ourselves up to that level by changing the essence of our being. And I would also like to thank everybody out there who's listening for taking the time to listen to Actions Antidotes today. And uh, hopefully you can be inspired to go out there and, and get a life that is truly vibrant. Wonderful. 